Welcome to Funds in Focus by the senior members of the investment strategy team at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Join our experts as they explore how current market trends are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, you'll learn how a specific FlexShares ETF operates and how the market has impacted the fund, along with the potential long-term implications of your client's portfolio. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Funds in Focus podcast. I'm David Partain. I'm joined with my co-host, Senior Investment Strategist with Northern Trust Asset Management, Chris Humer. Hello, Chris. How are you today? I am excited for our discussion around helping advisors address inflation concerns in their clients' portfolios. Hey, David. Great to be here. Uh, Looking forward to our discussion. On Funds in Focus, we seek to explore current market trends and how they are shaping the investment landscape. In each episode, Chris and I, with over 50 years of combined industry experience, will provide relevant, timely, and actionable ideas that you can utilize to help drive your portfolio forward. And along the way, we may even take the opportunity to talk about FlexShares ETFs. As George Gilder says, remember the markets are simply a pricing mechanism of current information. So let's get started. Chris, one of the most frequent topics you have discussed with clients this past year has been around inflation. Where do you see inflation expectations today and how can it affect investors' portfolios? Yeah, and and that's with good reason because it's been one of the leading drivers of market volatility and Mm -hmm. and really all markets, not just equity, but fixed income for the the past several months, primarily leading into February. If we go back to where we were in November and we look at the the Fed funds futures curve is a way of of measuring the market's view of potential interest rate hikes. We were only pricing in, and we being the market was only pricing in two hikes through the end of 2022. Well, as concerns about inflation have increased, and the Federal Reserve has communicated shifts in monetary policy to combat purchasing power and uh, erosion. We've seen that expectation shift over time. And going into February, we saw that the market was pricing in uh, somewhere between six and seven hikes this year. And now I'm using this time frame of, of pre-February because, you know, as we record this here in, in early March, addressing the, the elephant in the room that, you know, uh, obviously Russia's invasion of Ukraine has affected this to a certain extent. We're, we're, we're dealing with situation that is fluid, uh, that is ever-changing. Uh, so uh, I'm going to try and keep our comments general here on, on that invasion, uh, just simply because by the time you're listening to this, what's been happening over there uh, might have changed. So understanding the the humanitarian uh, and and the you know and everything that's going on, just thinking of that uh, as well of it, you know, the market conditions and what we're seeing, uh, that's obviously had an effect on markets in several ways. From an inflation, uh, from excuse me, from an interest rate perspective, what we've seen is is that number of rate hikes kind of come down a little bit. We're now looking at somewhere between four and six rate hikes as opposed to where we were sitting with six or seven uh, this year. So that has has brought that down some uh, as uh, investors weigh the the effects of of global growth uh, and and issues with global growth that might be driven from from this crisis and any profound effects that we have going forward from that crisis. Uh, The other thing that I, I note is that 
as a data point, uh, the next inflation print will be in uh, March 10th, uh, and that'll be the February CPI number, so consumer price index uh, increase. The market today is expecting a year-over-year reading of 7.9%. So that's a a month over a month of 0.8, 7.9%. And the view is that essentially that this might be the the peak of the inflation numbers. And the reason because of, of why this might be the peak is because if you think about it from this perspective uh, and go back a year when we were coming out of the initial coming out of the, the pandemic pre-Omicron, uh, mm-hmm. what we were seeing at this point was this is where uh, the reflation trade started was last March. So our CPI numbers or that inflation number, when we look at last March, April, and June in particular, those were very large numbers. So year over year, the expectation is we'll see this large print in February. And then going forward, we might have a reprieve from this number. Uh, The key is going to be where we end the year at. Uh, Market expectations has varied on this as well, but typically we've seen somewhere in the four to six percent, which is still monumentally high compared to uh, where we were pre-pandemic and, and during the pandemic, where you know the Fed was struggling to get even greater than two percent uh, inflation. So these are large, large numbers, uh, and again, the situation in Ukraine can have an impact on that, particularly uh, when we look at Europe. So. Energy prices, both uh, Brent uh, crude as well as natural gas, have gone through the roof since the start of the crisis. Uh, you're seeing oil, uh, Brent oil, over $100 a barrel. Uh, natural resources, uh, a lot of Europe gets their natural natural gas from uh, from Russia, and so that's been impacted as well as agriculture. Uh, Ukraine, as well as Russia, are big wheat produ- producers, and that's also been a big driver. So inflation is uh, not going away. Uh, the Fed dealing with it is something that is being continually focused on, and so this is going to have a profound impact on markets. Whether we're talking about fixed income markets, equity markets across the board, uh, this is really uh, you know a paradigm shift that we're dealing with today. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, with COVID, these two years are so compact. So even when you're talking about November of 2021, I still in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, 2021, 2020, 2020, 2022. So um, you're really talking about the start uh, before the start of the year. And so that seems to me to be a really like that adjustment happened really fast. So what are some ways investors can look to guard their portfolio against this inflation? Yeah. You know, this is something we've been talking to clients about for over 10 years here at FlexShares uh, mm-hmm. as we've looked to address inflation concerns. And as inflation has, pick, has picked up, this has definitely been a topic that has been more and more on investors' minds. And really the way that we look at addressing inflation is that there isn't uh, a one tool to meet all your inflation needs. And you need to look at uh, several different ways to, and several different time horizons when it comes to addressing inflation. So, you know, we break it up in the short, uh, short time horizon, the intermediate time horizon, and a long time horizon bucket. On the short end, uh, we look at tip securities as a great way 
to protect your portfolio in, in that short time horizon. The intermediate time horizon, say somewhere between five and 15 years, uh, our, our view there would be that commodities or natural resource equities would be great tools to use in that intermediate term bucket. We have a preference for natural resource equities there, and I'm happy to kind of unpack that a little bit as we, we get further into the discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. And then on the long end, uh, things like uh, real estate, uh, listed infrastructure, or common stocks would be great tools as uh, as inflation hedges in, in the long long time horizon window. Okay, so my wife and I went this weekend and saw Uncharted and looking for Magellan's gold. What about gold as an inflation hedge? Yeah. Uh, Dave, Besides that- the gold in that ship, in Magellan's ship, okay. Don't spoil the movie for me. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. Uh, but uh, from... You know, one of the the most common misconceptions we run into is that gold is, as a standalone asset, is a, a good inflation hedge. And, and really, the data does not support this. Gold is actually, as a standalone asset class, again, not looking at it as metals, as a, as a total thing, uh, but just gold alone, really uh, is a poor... A, a poor asset class to defend against inflation. We find that over the five-year window, gold's correlation to CPI is one of the poorest of all asset classes with a correlation of 0.1. Wow. So very little protection there. Um, gold in our minds is more of a currency hedge. It does a better job from that standpoint, if you think about it, versus the US dollar is typically how it's looked at. Or as we've seen recently, uh, as it, gold is also viewed as a safe haven asset class, you know, really a, a place to, to, to go in a flight to safety. And obviously, uh, over the last month, we've seen that with gold, uh, and it's been used as in that manner. But again, it's not a very good inflation hedge. So you mentioned really on the short time horizon, treasury inflation protected securities or TIPS as an inflation protection tool. And like the name says, inflation protection. So that makes sense. But why only over the short time horizon? Yeah. Uh, the reason for that is we see that historically the correlations between TIPS and CPI break down once you get to that intermediate or, or time or long-term time horizon. And the reason for that is that if you think about a TIP, it's, it's a fixed income security. Uh, and what happens is that that interest rate component, that coupon, that interest payment you're getting overwhelms the inflation component. So the correlation over a longer run, as you get more coupon payments for that tips security, you tend to uh, see that correlation breakdown. So it's great at capturing unanticipated inflation changes, Mm. um, but over the long run, that tends to break down. The other thing that I want to make sure that investors are aware of is while tips are inflation uh, protecting, the other component of that, because of the interest rate, you do uh, you can be susceptible to duration risk. And obviously, as we're in an environment where uh, increases in interest rates and interest rate expectations are changing, having that sensitivity to interest rates where uh, you are hurt by 
increases in interest rates can impact your portfolio. So that's one of the reasons we advocate for taking taking a targeted duration uh, process around your tip security. And that's one of the reasons why we designed our two tips products, our three-year targeted duration tips product, ticker TDTT, and our five-year targeted duration product, ticker TDTF, uh, as tools that investors could use that give you uh, targeted duration and targeted exposure to that sensitivity and interest rates. And of course, duration is is how much that price is going to fluctuate. So the higher that number is, the more it's going to uh, potentially fluctuate. You also mentioned a preference for natural resource equities over commodities, having grown up in Chicago, going to the open outcry market at the Merck. Why do you prefer natural resources over actual commodities? There's three different reasons why we prefer natural resource equities over commodities futures today. And then the first one being that the the spot price of the commodity, you know, when we talk about, you know, when I talk about Brent oil being over a hundred dollars a barrel, that's the spot price. What a lot of times people forget is that the commodities futures price uh, is not the spot price, you know, by itself. The spot price is one piece of it. But you also have two other components: the the carry uh, of of you know the of the of that futures contract. So if you're you know buying a futures contract, you have also the carry of the the interest of the, that position, and most importantly, you have the roll yield. That mm-hmm. as you roll from one contract to the next, there is a price erosion of itself in that. Typically, because the reason for that is, you know, while the spot price is what it is today, typically the futures curve for any commodity is in what we call contango, meaning that future prices are higher than current prices. So as you roll from the current contract to future contracts, you are actually eroding your 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 return on that contract. So it's not just that spot price that you're getting. So changes in spot price are a piece of it, but that roll yield is a crucial component. And we have seen times where that curve can be so far in uh, in that in in contango that it's pricing in uh, a twenty percent uh, return on that spot price. That you're going to just to break even, you have to see a 20% increase in that spot price. So just be oh. mindful of that as mm-hmm. one of the reasons. The second reason is the ability to include areas in the natural resource complex, such as timber and water, that are not very well covered from uh, a futures perspective. There are uh, timber, land, uh, timber uh, or lumber futures out there. That you can invest in, but really they're they're not as robust as you get when you talk about you know different types of agriculture or or metals or or, or energy, uh, where there's a, a much more robust series of futures contracts that you can invest in. Really, not the same when you look at timber and very little on the water end. Uh, two areas that we really like in the natural resource complex for different reasons on the timber side. Timberlands are one of the highest correlated asset classes to inflation. And the reason for that is unlike 
uh, na- you know, when, energy, uh, whether you're talking about like an, uh, an energy, an oil well, or you're talking about uh, a, a mine for, for metals, uh, timberland actually, if you don't harvest it, actually grows. Like the te- trees get larger and you have more lumber to sell. And because of that, it becomes more valuable over time. So you see a direct, uh, a higher correlation for timberland to inflation than other na- uh, commodities and natural resources. And the other reason we wanted to include water is that when you think about any of these uh, natural resource or commodities, really the ability to harvest any of these and, and, and to bring those to market relies heavily on water. So water to us is a crucial component for any commodities or natural resource exposure. If you think about it, obviously from an agricultural perspective, it's, it's an, everybody understands that, but even from the metals and mining or from an energy standpoint or Timberland uh, standpoint, water is a crucial component of all of those commodities. And so having direct exposure to water was something we wanted in the portfolio. Uh, and then you could get that from natural resource equities. You really can't do that from a future standpoint. And then the third reason is that uh, the ability to generate income from your portfolio, because we're talking about equity securities, typically most of these these securities in the natural resource complex throw off uh, some sort of dividend income. You don't get that with the futures contracts for commodities. So that's just an extra added cherry on top when it comes to uh, natural resource equities for us. Yeah, and that's that's actually not. Um, it's something that is very important right now because where interest rates are and people looking for income globally, that is uh, an important consideration. And for anybody that's tried to either build a swing set or a garage, we've seen timber be. You go to your ho- local hardware store, you'll see timber. Uh, what is substantially higher than it has been for many years. So let's switch gears and talk about for infrastructure and real estate, which have all have also fit into this real assets category. Are there any aspects of these asset classes that investors should focus on when exploring their options? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, both of them are what we would consider long-term inflation hedges, uh, and they're they're typically been used by our clients in in that manner uh, for different reasons, you know. And and they're both uh, both have interest from our clients for 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 various reasons for, on the inflation. Uh, for excuse me, on the infrastructure side, uh, one of the biggest uh, reasons why it's interested is because it's it's generally a defensive asset class in the real asset complex, particularly when you look at real estate and natural resource equity. Uh, it tends to be the most defensively positioned. The reason for that is you're talking about uh, these long-term assets that typically have inelastic demand. When, when, I, when I say inelastic demand, when I'm going back to that Econ 101 version of, of it is that you know really in both uh, boom and bust markets, these are mission critical goods that you need access to. Everybody needs access to potable water, to, to waste management, to electricity, uh, and, and today, particularly in the information world, uh, access to data is, is a crucial component. So being able to access all of this, it's something that you need 
no matter what. And so there's an inelastic demand or a high demand for it, no matter what your discretionary spending is, you tend to spend on uh, infrastructure goods because they're crucial uh, to your business. They also tend to be um, very location specific. Uh, and so they tend to also focus on specific areas, which in today's world where uh, we've seen peak globalization, uh, having location-specific uh, focused assets has been attractive over the last couple of years. And I think going forward, we'll see that also be something that's attractive. Uh, the one thing I would point out when it comes to infrastructure that we prefer is taking broad expo- exposure to the infrastructure asset class. The reason for that is because you're talking about location specific goods and services, you can't really move them. Uh, so you're, you're really beholden to regulatory pressures, governmental pressures, natural disaster risk. Uh, and so with that in mind, you can't, you, you want to be diversified across both geography but also the different types of infrastructure. So not just relying on utilities or pipelines, but also having access to data centers, hospitals, even things like post offices, airports, seaports, having a good diversified basket gives you better protection. The other reason as as we sit here in a rising rate environment or the expectation of a rising rate environment as we go through 2022 If you think about some of those traditional asset classes in the infrastructure bucket, utilities, pipelines, they tend to be sensitive to interest rates. Uh, You can potentially mitigate a little bit of that by being further diversified. So I think that's one of the reasons we prefer this nice diversified basket of infrastructure than really uh, some of those traditional areas of the space. Uh, And then finally, to, to talk about real estate, I think real estate is a very interesting asset class today uh, because there's both tailwinds and headwinds in the space. I think uh, you mentioned uh, timber prices and lumber prices along with um, la- a la- a tightness in the labor market. I think uh, from that perspective, residential real estate has been uh, very attractive. If, if anybody's tried to buy a house in the last year, uh, mm-hmm. the supply is not there and there is very, a lot of demand. So both single fam- family and multi-family uh, residential REITs have done very well. The other area that has been very, uh, very hot is industrial REITs. And the reason for that is as uh, companies have gone to protect their supply chains and their inventories, one of the things that they've done is look for uh, closer uh, depositories of their of their goods, and so warehouses have been a really hot commodity. And so, trying to find uh, and and build resiliency into the supply chains has led to industrial REITs really being uh, one of the the bright spots in the real estate complex. Um, on the other side, you know, there's still question marks coming out of the pandemic around offices and and obviously retail REITs as brick and mortar stores are still. Uh, suffering. And so from that perspective, I think real estate is a mixed bag. The one thing that we would advocate for is really taking a global uh, approach to real estate. You know, really uh, a lot of the clients I talk to, uh, a lot of advisors have start with a position of US REITs. And really one of the things we advocate for is taking a global approach because you get extra diversification. Uh, US REITs tend to be more volatile than international REITs historically. So really 
getting a nice blend of a global approach and global diversification also is a, is a benefit to your portfolio as well. Yeah. And it, it is apparent to me, obviously, that we do take a global approach. If you look at the four funds within our real asset suite, the FlexShares Stocks Global Broad Infrastructure Index Fund, NFRA, then you have the FlexShares Global Quality Real Estate Index Fund, GQRE, and the FlexShares Morningstar Global Upstream Natural Resources Index Fund, GUNR, and then, of course, our FlexShares Real Assets Allocation Index Fund, combining the three of those, and that's ASET, or ASSET, as we like to refer to it around here. So, Chris, we're coming up to the end of the show, and I'd like to close the program and offer have you offer one major takeaway for advisors from today's conversation. Sure. Uh, you know, really, I think the the one thing to take away from this is that there is not one singular tool that helps protect uh, a portfolio from inflation. You know, our view is taking a multifaceted approach, both using fixed income and equity, uh, and on the equity side, obviously, real assets, as, as David mentioned, and really blending different asset classes, uh, in our opinion, gives you the the best mitigation of inflation by combining these tools together. That's great. Well, Chris, that is it for today. Thank you for listening to Funds in Focus. You can learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com slash funds in focus, or simply go to flexshares.com. When you get to the go.flexshares.com slash funds in focus, you can actually click on the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes are available. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast, The Flexible Advisor. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Chris Humor, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of Funds in Focus. Thank you for listening to Funds in Focus. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, go.flexshares.com slash fundsinfocus. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. There's no guarantee that a specific strategy will be successful. ETFs are subject to specific risks, depending on the nature of the underlying strategy of the fund. These risks could include liquidity risk, sector risk, as well as risks associated with fixed income securities, real estate investments and commodities, to name a few. 